Last week, um, I spoke about church being a family. That's the primary metaphor that the New Testament uses to describe um, what the church is like. It's like a family. It's not an event that you attend once a week. It's not a charity that you volunteer for. Church isn't a religious club. It's not a business. It's a family. That's the language of the New Testament. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, households, it's family language. The church is family. Jesus said, the primary way that the world will know that you follow me is by the way you love one another, by your relationships. That's what Jesus cares about more than anything else. That's the sign of a healthy church, far more than the size of its car park or the quality of its coffee, is the depth of our relationships. And so the big idea is this, that people walk into the church community and go, wow, not because of the building or because of the toilets or because of the music, because they say, wow, look at your relationships. Look how you love one another. Look how you serve one another. Look how you're generous towards one another. Look how you forgive one another. Look how you encourage one another. Wow. I mean, it's all generations and it's all ages and different backgrounds and you're all together. I mean, what is this place? That's the wow factor of the church. I know lots of people will like our toilets, but that's not what really matters, okay? What matters is our relationships. That's what Jesus says. That's what he prayed for, actually. He prayed that we would be one as he and his father are one. And last week, we looked at the fact that the family, in a family, no one is perfect. So we don't have to pretend that we are in the church. If I know I'm not perfect, and you know I'm not perfect, and I know you're not perfect, we don't have to pretend anymore. Hallelujah. We can just encourage each other. And in a family, we raise sons and daughters, which means we need to have spiritual mothers and fathers. And in a family, we all muck in and play our part. That's how the church grows. And also, it's in the context of family that we grow up and mature. We need one another to mature in God. That's a very clear principle of the Bible. Which means this, church isn't always neat and tidy. Anyone know that? It isn't always formulaic. Um, As families grow... You do need better organization and systems. That's true in any family. We, uh, we've got four children. Up until recently, we had four children in four different schools and lots and lots of emails from those schools. And we regularly got confused about what was happening for what child in what school. And in fact, there was one moment when we sent Levi into school without any lunch because we were absolutely persuaded that it was Christmas school lunch day and he'd have his lunch provided. But it wasn't his school doing that, it was Joseph's school. So Levi went to school with no lunch and was provided with no lunch because it just gets confusing sometimes. And a good parent award. They did feed him, didn't they? They did feed him, yeah. Um, But we've had to get one of those big wall planners now in our family because as you get bigger, you know, I mean, you just need to plan stuff a bit more and budgets matter and communication matters. And when you get like the whole extended family together, you know, you need spreadsheets and everything else. And... In families, that's true, and in church, it's true. As it gets bigger, you need systems and you need um, budgets and plans and diaries and everything else, but we must not lose the spontaneity of family. As it gets bigger, more planning is needed, but the church is family. In families, we get to celebrate together. In families, we get to mourn together. Um, That's what families do. We share moments of great celebration and great sadness together. I should mention, actually, at this moment, I think we should publicly congratulate Sam Marson and Lucy Dunn, Dan Joyner and Lisa Walden, and Luke Beersticker and Lydia Playfoot, who have all got um, engaged recently. So let's give them a big round of applause. 
don't have any engagements for ages, and then three come in two weeks' time. So, joint wedding, guys, is that the plan? No. Congratulations, we rejoice together. I want to take this theme of family a little bit further today. We're going to apply it a bit. Um, if you have a Bible, please open to um, the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. Near the end of the Bible, if you have a device, Bible, please open it. I'm going to read one verse. It's the foundation of my message today. In chapter 5, this is a, a letter written to a church by the Apostle Paul to a church in a place called Thessalonica. And um, I'm just going to read this verse, and I'll explain the context, and I'll read the verse again. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. That's my verse for today. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Let's look at the context. Um, this church in Thessalonica was a church that Paul began. Um, if you want to know the backstory, have a read of Acts chapter 17 earlier on in the New Testament. We'll see how the church began in Thessalonica. Paul went there, he preached about Jesus. We read that a number of Jewish people turned to Christ, as did a number of God-fearing Greeks, and a church was born in this city, a young church, but Paul couldn't actually stay there very long. So if you look at Acts 17, what happens, there were massive riots in the city because people didn't like what Paul and his friends were preaching. So they had to flee pretty quickly out of Thessalonica, but they left um, this young church. And um, Paul writes this letter to them. He wanted to visit them to encourage them, but that hadn't been possible. So Paul had actually sent his young friend, apprentice, co-worker, Timothy, to go and encourage the church. And Timothy had come back to him with a report of how well they were doing. And in response to that, Paul wrote this letter to them. It's actually probably the earliest letter in the New Testament. So um, they reckon AD 51, 52, something like that. And the whole language is family language. If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is talking about his ministry when he was with them and when the church began. And he says in Chapter 2, verse 7, he says, We were like young, I'm sorry, yeah, young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. He was describing his role to them like a mother caring for children. And then he says in verse 11, You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live a lives worthy of God. He's saying, When we're with you, I was like a mother to you. I'm caring for you. I was like a father to you, encouraging you and urging you in your life in God. And then Timothy brings this report, and he's heard how things are going. And he says about Timothy's report in chapter 3, verse 6 Timothy has just come to us from you. And he's brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. There's this affection Paul has for this church. Oh, I long to see you. It's not working out at the moment, but I'd love to see you. And I'm so grateful that you love, would long to see us as well. Such affection in the language. And then 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9, he says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. It's like, oh, well done, church. You're doing the thing that Jesus said you should do. You're loving each other. I don't need to instruct you in this because you're doing it so well. Well done. And then um, chapter 5, that verse I read, he's talking about living in uncertain times. And he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. He's saying to this young church, 
guys, you're doing this encouraging thing really, really well. Keep going at it. Don't stop encouraging each other. Don't stop building each other up. He's encouraging the church to be family and to encourage one another, to encourage one another. It's a biblical idea to encourage one another. Time and time again in the book of Acts, we see how different people went to different places, and it says, and they went there and they encouraged and strengthened the church there, or the believers. Paul asked the church in Corinth to encourage one another and be of one mind. He often sends people like Timothy to a church to encourage and strengthen them. And he says here to this church in Thessalonica, remember, encourage one another and build each other up. Guys, if we want to understand what it means to be family, here is a very, very simple thing that every single one of us can do that builds healthy family in local church life. Encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another. What does encouragement mean? Our English word encourage comes from an old French word, encourager. I think that's how you pronounce it. I think it's something like that. Encourager. It means to make strong or to hearten, to make strong. Encourage. It literally means put courage in someone. Encourage. Put courage in someone. Paul says this church, keep encouraging one another. Keep putting courage into one another. Keep building one another up. Keep strengthening one another. It's not the guy at the front of the church's job. It's not in the church. Encourage one another. Build one another up. One of our values as a church is courage. And in the year, we talked through some of our values of grace and wholeheartedness and hospitality and courage. What's one of the ways we can be a courageous church well, by the way, that we put courage in one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Put strength into one another. We'll grow in courage as we'll grow in encouragement. I'm absolutely persuaded by that. Um, in our own family, and um, I, I recognize, again, everyone has different experiences of family. I'm speaking from my own experience. But one of the things we try and do as a family, um, and, and it doesn't always happen because we're, you know, no families are perfect, but we try and have a culture of encouragement. So um, in our household, in our home with our children, we, we encourage, only say what's going to build each other up. Don't say critical stuff about each other. Be, think about our words. And we talk about that kind of stuff. Even yesterday, we were having those kind of conversations. Encourage each other. Because actually, we think that's a culture that is biblical, actually. We should encourage and build each other up. And our words are very, very powerful. Like I said, we don't always get that right. But we want to try and build that kind of culture of encouragement. The beautiful thing about encouragement is that it's something that every single person can do. It's not one of those gifts that people think, well, I'm not sure, I can't play, I can't play the bass. Um, it's like, no, but everyone can encourage. Everyone can encourage. Something all of us are able to do. We can all strengthen and put courage in one another. It's so biblical, it's so powerful, and yet actually it's so rare, actually. It's quite a rare thing. So it's quite countercultural, isn't it? I think in our culture to see the good in someone and call it out. I, I know I say this kind of stuff a lot, but we do need to be aware of the culture that we're living in and how that can impact our behavior. So we live in a culture where the primary kind of institution of media is set up to tear people down. It's cynical, it's to find fault, it's to find error and to tear people down. And without care, what happens is we adopt 
the kind of primary atmosphere of the culture. And so what happens is our humor becomes, yeah, yeah, I'll just bring someone down with that remark or comment, or our cynicism or sarcasm that doesn't build each other up. And we need to be aware that the church is meant to be countercultural. It's not, it's not to reflect what the world does. It's meant to be very, very different to the world. And that's why I think this thing about encouragement is so important and powerful because I don't see it particularly in the culture in which we live and we're called to encourage one another. We can be quick to find fault and slow to encourage. Let's be slow to find fault and quick to encourage. Sometimes we stay silent um, rather than encourage someone. Even if we have a good thought, we say, well, I'm not going to say it to them because I don't want it to go to their head. I'm protecting them from being pride-filled and conceited, so I'll just keep that thought to myself. In the long run, it's better for them that I don't encourage them because they might get conceited and pride-filled. No, no, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says encourage each other, build each other up. Or, or we go even one more extreme that we see it as our personal responsibility to bring that person down a peg or two because actually I think they're a little bit too pride-filled, and so I'm going to just use my words, you know, just to realign them a little bit. No, no, encourage each other and build each other up. Put strength in one another. Encouragement is um, different than paying a compliment. I could say, Steve, you have nice shoes. Okay, that's a compliment, okay? That's, it might encourage him, but that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's a different thing than paying a compliment Encouragement, biblically, is strengthening one another by calling out the good of God we see in one another, encouraging the grace and gift of God in one another, and to encourage one another to persevere when life is tough because God is good and God is faithful and God has a plan and we're part of that plan. And it's to strengthen one another with the promises of God. But Steve, you do have nice shoes, nonetheless. Encouragement isn't always saying what someone wants to hear. Sometimes encouragement is actually saying what someone doesn't want to hear, but they need to hear. There's a way you can do that, which is encouraging, just to be clear. But it's not like stroking people. It's like, no, no, sometimes you have to say stuff that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear for their encouragement and strengthening. It's reminding one another of who God is, of who we are in Christ. It's Reminds us of what we've been saved from and what we've been saved into. It's reminding us that with God, all things are possible and that we can do it and we can overcome and he is faithful and that we've got living hope. It's putting strength in one another. It's reminding one another of the grace of God and your life and what he's called you to and what you're therefore able to do in the kingdom of heaven. This is what biblical encouragement is. Maybe this little video, I saw this little video, I thought this is a great little example of what encouragement is. Guys, is that okay? Can we run this? Thank you so much.
Encourage one another. Build one another up. Yeah. One of the things I said last week was that in the church, we don't have a hire and fire culture. We raise sons and daughters. There's a moment where I, I looked out and said, there are so many spiritual mums and dads here. Raise sons and daughters. And I've had some great conversations during the week about that. And some people have said, yeah, I really felt God in that moment. But how? What does it look like for me to do that? Here's something that you can do to begin to do that. Encourage people and build them up in God. It is simple and it is so powerful. People in the church finding someone else and say, do you know what? I'm going to pray for you. How can I pray for you? I want to encourage you. How can I encourage you? To, to say to these guys who serve us brilliantly or those guys who serve us brilliantly or those guys in the team or anywhere else in church life, I really appreciate what you do. I really see the grace of God in your life. Thank you for serving our church. How can I pray for you this week? It's simple, but it's so powerful. Encourage one another and build one another up. In the Bible, we see this is what the Apostle Paul does for his um, friend Timothy. So um, Timothy is this young guy that Paul meets in the book of Acts, and, and Paul sees real potential in him and says, look, I think you should travel with me and my team come with me. And so they travel around. And as we read the rest of the New Testament, there's moments where Paul is then saying to churches, look, I can't come to you, but I'm sending Timothy. My dear son is just like me. Everything that I am is in him now. So I'm sending him to you. And he writes two letters to Timothy, beautiful letters. And they're like a father encouraging their son. He, he says things like this to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift which is given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hand on you. He's like, Timothy, remember who you are. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Remember the gift of God that is on your life. Do you remember when we prayed for you? Don't forget those moments. Devote yourself to teaching and preaching. This is the gift of God. It's like a father saying, come on, Timothy. Don't forget who you are. Remember what God's put in your life. Remember those days when we prayed for you. Paul also gets really practical with Timothy. He says this in one of his letters. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. He's like, he's giving practical nutritional diet advice now. He's like, yeah, I mean, don't just, don't just eat at McDonald's, Timothy. I'm, I'm giving you some advice. If you want to sustain ministry, let me give you some advice practically on looking after yourself a little bit. He goes on to say, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your faith. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. The Spirit of God doesn't make us timid, Timothy. He gives us power. He's like, remember, Timothy, remember the gift of God in your life. Remember you've got the Holy Spirit that doesn't make us timid, but gives us love and self-control and power. Remember, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. This is how spiritual parenting works. And we can all do it. You can all find someone that says, remember who you are in God. Remember that prayer meeting. I was there. I remember the prophetic word of your life. I made a note of it. I've been praying into that for you. Don't forget what that person prayed for you. Don't forget that prophetic word that you received. Remember it. Fan into flame the gift. There's a gift of God in you. How can I encourage that in you? How can I pray for you constantly, day and night? I pray for you, he says. How can I pray for you? If you want to spiritually mum or dad someone, start by offering to pray for them. Find someone and say, can I pray for you? 
Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to do? What a great starting place. I was chatting with Dan this week. Dan, who led worship this morning. Great job, team. I loved worshiping this morning. Just fantastic. Whole team, well done. Dan of beard fame and carpenter extraordinaire. Do you know, he's a phenomenal carpenter, Dan. He makes these most incredible things out of um, timber. It's just amazing. Anyway, I was chatting to Dan this week, and he was telling me about a conversation he had about seven years ago with a guy in this church that really changed a lot for him. And I said, asked Dan if I could share his story, so he wrote it down for me. He said this, I've been Christian for a long time and part of King's Church for a few years, but I was in a pretty stale place in life. I've not been able to hold down a steady job for a couple of years, and I was becoming increasingly terrible with my money. I was getting towards the end of my 20s without really settling down in anything, but I couldn't seem to do anything about it. And at some point, my friend Bob got in touch and asked whether he could take me out for a coffee. We sat in the seats by the window at Costa, and he started asking me some tough questions about what I was doing with my life. He kindly but firmly challenged me about how I was living and encouraged me about sticking around in a job. It wasn't that nobody had nudged me about these things before, but there was something about having a seasoned, slightly older guy sitting me down, look him in the eye, and ask me what I was doing with my life, which made all the difference. Over the next few weeks, I managed to find myself a new job, which I stuck with for the next four years, and within 18 months, I'd married my best friend. Listen to what Dan says. He says this, I genuinely look back on that coffee with Bob as one of the most significant hours of my life. So much changed because someone took the time to sit me down and speak into my life. Encourage one another and build one another up. What's going on? Bob cares enough to say, come on down, let's go for a coffee, let's have a chat. What's going on with you? How can I encourage you? What's God called you to? What are you going to do about that? Not necessarily easy things to hear, but the right things to hear. Bob cares enough not to just compliment Dan on his beard, but to say, Dan, come on, what's your life about? What are you going for? How can I help? Encourage one another. Build one another up. It's what mothers and fathers in the church do to sons and daughters. You can pray for someone. You can encourage them. You can remind them of who they are in God. You can provoke them to remember prophetic words that have spoken over them. We can all do this. It's what sons and daughters need. They need the encouragement of mothers and fathers. Another way we can encourage one another is in prayer. The atmosphere of the New Testament is one of ordinary people like you and me gathering regularly and consistently to pray together. Jesus taught us how to pray. He encouraged us to pray and told us we should not give up praying. The first followers of Jesus gathered constantly in prayer. It's just what they did. Their prayer meetings weren't dull. They were dynamic, God-filled prayer meetings. God was in the room when they gathered. When one of them got arrested and put into prison, what did the other followers do? Did they panic and call a solicitor? No, they prayed. When Paul and Silas were arrested and put in prison, we read that in prison they worshipped and prayed together. Paul writes to the Romans and encourages them to be faithful in prayer. He says to the Ephesians that he had not stopped remembering them in prayer and encourages them to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and to keep on praying for all the Lord's people. He tells the Philippians not to be anxious about anything but in every situation pray. He says to the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer. He urges the Thessalonians to pray continually and tells them he continu- constantly prays for them and asks 
them to pray for him. He tells Timothy that he longs for men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. James writes his letter and says that if anyone among you is in trouble, they should pray. And says we should also confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so we may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Peter in his letters says we should be alert and of sober mind in order that we can pray. And the little and rarely read letter of Jude says we should build ourselves up in our faith and pray in the Holy Spirit so we may keep ourselves in God's love. Church, let us never stop praying with and for one another. It's what the church does. It's what the church has always done. Certainly what we want to do as a church. Praying for one another should be like an absolutely normal, essential, and central part of church life. We can encourage each other and strengthen each other and build one another up by praying with and for each other. You know when we gather, like, it's normal to sing songs of worship, and it's normal for someone to do what I'm doing here, and it's normal for us to have coffee. It should also be normal that we are absolutely praying for one another when we gather on a Sunday morning. It should be the normal stuff of church life. It should be the normal stuff in life groups to be praying with and for one another, not the exception. We've got to kind of get away from this fact, this weird idea that to ask for prayer is unusual, un, kind of unusual or exceptional or embarrassing. So often we think, if I ask someone to pray for me, uh, it's either the mission of failure or sin, or it's um, a crisis, or it's a sign of weakness, and it's like, what are we talking about? Pray for one another. It's like this is what the church does. We strengthen one another by praying with one another and praying for one another. It's just the normal stuff of church life. And actually the Bible says, yeah, we should confess our sin to one another. That's the normal part of church life. And the Bible says actually all of us are weak and need strengthened. And here's one of the ways that we can be strengthened by having someone pray with us. It's the normal experience of church life to pray with and for one another. We can be encouraged and built up by praying for one another. You know, just praying for one another is basically saying, um, I need God and I need you. Can you pray for me? Um, all of us need God and all of us need one another. So it's normal, okay? It's not crisis. It's not embarrassing. It's normal to pray with and for one another. And this week, a week of prayer. Boiler room tonight, the church prays. Wednesday night, the church prays. The prayer room, sign up this morning. The church prays. It's just what we do. It's one of the ways we encourage one another. All the time, Paul is saying, pray, 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 because it's encouraging and builds us up. We encourage one another in life groups. Steve's already mentioned that. We gather together, we talk, we look at the Bible, we encourage each other, we pray for each other. It's where we take this one another in of the New Testament seriously, to love one another and serve one another and encourage one another and teach one another, and it happens. And one of the best places is life groups. Like I said, church, is not one guy up front on a Sunday morning. No, churches, we want another. We love one another and serve each other, encourage each other and build each other up. And life groups are a great place to do that. Have a look, please, in King's Life. Get connected to one. They'll be starting very soon. We're praying as a team. Oh, Lord, let there be more people connected in groups than ever before because we want to encourage each other and build each other up. Let's our life groups have a culture of encouragement in them. You can text, you'll kind of get signed up, you can log on, you can hand in a form if you 
I don't want to do Morse code, we'll set up Morse code, whatever it is. We'll try and do as many ways as possible for you to sign up because we want people to sign up and get connected to relationships. And I just want to echo what Steve said. Do you know, encourage your life group leaders. If you're in a life group, um, let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you thanked and encouraged your life group leaders? Every week they open up their home, they plan, they make a plan, they communicate, um, they do it every single week. Encourage them. Thank them. Like Steve said, say, I'm going to be part of your group again because I think you're the best leaders and I want you to know that I'm with you and for you. Encourage your life group leaders. They are heroic and doing a great job in church life. What a difference it would be for our amazing group leaders to know the encouragement of their group in that way. So let me encourage you to connect to a life group this term because we need to encourage each other and build each other up. It's a great place to do it. So we can pray together, we can do life groups. I'm just going to say two brief things and we're going to pray. Encouragement is proactive. It's proactive. Do you know, even every Sunday morning, we, we all arrive as a team who, in all weathers, help us park our cars. Encouragement is proactive. There's a team that are here at 7 a.m. this morning unlocking and getting ready for us. Somewhere there is someone in a burgundy t-shirt who is hidden behind the scenes. We call them a Sunday manager who behind the scenes make everything happen and respond to any needs that happen in the morning. They're invisible, they're unseen, they're probably walking around the building getting stuff sorted at the moment for your coffee in a moment. Um, they don't do it for praise, they don't do it for recognition, they certainly don't do it for money. Um, they do it because they love the church and love you and love God and want to create a place that's safe and welcoming. Um, if you see that burgundy t-shirt wearing, encourage them. Thank them that they've made Sunday morning happen for the rest of us. Um, do you know what? Dominic and I were chatting. Dominic said, wouldn't it be great to um, encourage people to write cards to encourage one another? Just a little note to say, thank you so much, or I see this in you, or I'm praying for you, or I felt God say this to you, because it's proactive. Who loves it when a handwritten note comes through the letterbox rather than a text message? Yeah, it's a bit different, isn't it? It's a bit different when that, you receive that. Wouldn't it be great to get a culture where we're always scribbling down notes? I'm encouraging you. Um, so Dominique said, okay, I'm going to get a load of cards for Sunday morning. So we can do it here and now. Um, so on the back table and the book table and in the foyer, there's piles of greeting cards, with verses and other stuff on there. Why not now, in response to this word, before you leave and over coffee, grab a card, pray about who God's wanting you to encourage, write something down, give it to them before you leave. Encouragement is proactive. It's the little things that make a difference. Finally, because I want to pray. Actually, Dan, Katie, can you go up, come up? I want to encourage all of us today primary way the Bible encourages us is it reminds us of who God is and of who we are and of what he has done. And it is that truth that strengthens and encourages the believers. It's reminding one another of the purposes and the plans of God. And so before we pray, I want to remind us of some of what the Bible says in order to encourage you. This is what Paul does all the time. When he's praying for people, he's not praying for their activity. He's praying they may know who they are in God because it's in that place of identity that we are encouraged. And also, do you know, when we are more secure 
in who we are in God, it's much easier to encourage others because we're not comparing and we're not criticizing and all of that kind of stuff. When we know who we are in God, it's much easier then to be generous with encouragement to others. So I want to read some things that the Bible says to remind us of who he is and of who we are. That's why gathering together and worshiping is so important because that's what we do. So, guys, I wonder if you can just start gently playing. Is that right? Why don't we stand? Let's do this. Let's, let's activate in this moment. I'm going to read some things. This is what the Bible says. You are the light of the world. Jesus no longer calls us servants. Instead, he's called us, he's called you, his friends. So if Jesus, the Son, has set you free, you really will be free indeed. He has chosen us, he's chosen you, and he's appointed us so that we might bear fruit. And surely he is with us always to the very end of the age. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because neither death or life Angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. So remember, remember in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. The Holy Spirit that we have received does not make us slaves so that we live in fear. No, the Spirit we received has brought about our adoption into the family of God and so we can cry, Abba, Father. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's special possession that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into wonderful light. And he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for you for for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Because Jesus promised to leave us with his peace, his supernatural peace. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So what then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can stand against us? So I keep praying. I keep praying, God, our glorious Father, I'm praying that he may pour out his Holy Spirit on us and on you, the Spirit who's full of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know God better. And I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I pray he may know the glorious inheritance of the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. And I pray that the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, will strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's people across the globe, to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God, and to know this love so that you may be filled to the measure 
of all the fullness of God. And remember, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just in fact, you are doing. Let's just worship for a moment, then we're going to pray.